to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, resiliency, crisis management, emergency management, and anything that can be relatable to those subjects. Speaking of which, if there are specific topics you'd like to talk us, uh, like us to talk about, then please feel free. Go to the Voice of America page for the show. There is a button underneath the graphic that uh, says something to the effect of send host an email. Click on that. Send your questions or your comments to me. I do get all uh, emails and I do respond to everything. And we'll see about uh, you getting on the show to talk about uh, you know your topic or finding someone else to talk about your topic. Also, we have some advertising and sponsorship uh, uh, possibilities available. So if you want to talk about a product or service, again, send me an email and we'll get in touch and we'll set something up. Today's show is brought to us by the people at uh, boastassessment.com, B-O-A-S-T, assessment.com. And they've got this new BIA tool that uh, you can use uh, to do BIAs in small to medium businesses. And they also have their assessment tool where you can do a self-assessment to determine where your program is and where you need to focus your resources. Long-time listeners will know that uh, I've attended the Continuity, Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto. And I had a summary of that uh, conference just a little while ago. And throughout the year, we will be speaking to various presenters, just like we did at the first conference. And today is no different. In fact, if you've listened to the show more than once, there is the chance that you've uh, listened to uh, my, my guest today because um, this is his second time on the show. He did speak again in uh, Toronto at the CRT conference. So I'd like to welcome back to the show, Lieutenant Glenn Mills. Glenn, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I just thought I'd let you know before I uh, let yourself uh, do some talking here that your show on uh, social media is one of the most listened to shows that we have. So thank you for that. Thank you. That's great to hear. Yeah, lots of people are interested in this subject. And that's what we're going to talk about today again. Glenn, you did a great uh, keynote speech, if I recall correctly, in Toronto. Uh, called, um, what was it, The Role of Social Media in Organizational Resilience. Correct? If I'm, if, I hope yep. I'm remembering it right. Great. Um, bef- and before we jump into that, can you kind of, for anyone who may not have heard your first show, can you give us a quick, uh, you know, bio of yourself, you know, what you do and where you're from? Because I think, uh, you know, I said Lieutenant Glenn Mills for a reason. Uh, so I'm a lieutenant at the Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department. Burlington, Massachusetts is located 15 miles northwest of Boston. We're at uh, the junction of Interstate 95 and Route 3. Uh, Burlington has a major shopping mall, a very large hospital called Leahy Clinic, and a very large number of corporations have headquarters here. 
our population is 26,000. Our daytime population more than doubles because of uh, the amount of business and industry here. Oh, well, <clears throat> welcome back. And let, let's jump straight into this because, as I mentioned, a lot of people uh, have listened to your previous show, so um, I, I really want to jump right into it. During your talk, you gave some a, a whole bunch of great information, so I almost I don't even know where to start. So I'm just going to start with this question. How does social media influence, you know, politics and terrorism and warfare and, you know, disaster emergency management? You know, it, it's so different because it's so new that it seems to impact everything. Yeah, Alex, that's, that's true. It, it seems to be coming um, more and more part of our everyday lives. Uh, as younger generations come up that have grown up with it uh, as a primary means of communication, you're finding that more and more people are relying on it to communicate. Um, I run into some young people and um, they, they, they sort of say, well, email, uh, I don't email anybody. Uh, they get all their messages through one social media platform or another, and uh, we're just finding it's working its way into um, every part of our lives, and especially in the information uh, realm and news and how we mm-hmm. get our information, how we digest our news, uh, paper newspapers, everyone knows that those are dying out, and uh, television news is struggling, and uh, now seems to be a time when more and more people are getting all of their information from um, internet sources. But how does that influence then, uh, you know, the politics and the news that we are getting? It can't, because that means uh, I could say anything, and because it's in social media, I, I become a almost a journalist, but I could be lying. Exactly. And that's, a, that's where we're getting into this whole new area that we've never really experienced anything like this before because um, you could go back 100 years and everyone got their news from newspapers. And you generally had an idea of who the people were that were writing the stories. And you had editors who would review the stories and people would check for truthfulness. And uh, there was some accountability as well because if you put something that was uh, defamatory and untrue, in a newspaper, uh, you could be sued. And then it went to television and radio, uh, radio first and then television. And even those, um, those were more corporations. And only certain people could um, put content out on those channels. And there was still, again, accountability. And it would be very difficult for someone to pretend to be somebody else and get themselves onto a radio broadcast or a television broadcast, uh, it would be almost impossible to, to say, oh, I'm here from, say, CBS News, for example, if you weren't, because you wouldn't have mm-hmm. any way to get on there. But now with social media, we have this whole entire world where um, people, there, there are so many different ways to give out misinformation. And mm-hmm. you do have people who legitimately want to be journalists, uh, citizen journalists, but they're not held to any kind of journalistic standards. And then you also have people with uh, bad intentions, um, including governments, corporations, and, um, you know, people who are, let's call them crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah. So how do we make some of these people, you know, do you have any suggestions? How do we make some of these people accountable? How do we change that? Because 
I could say, you know, uh, using uh, Burlington Police Department as an example, I could say anything I want about the Burlington Police Department that is all wrong, but how do I, how can you make me accountable for saying all these things that are incorrect? Or, 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 on the other hand, what can you do on your side at the police department to make sure that, you know, the right message is coming through from you and people aren't believing me? Exactly. So it's very important for uh, uh, police agencies, but also even businesses, private companies, small businesses. It's becoming more and more important to monitor uh, social media channels and find out as quickly as you can if people are talking about you. So in the old days, you could maybe, I call them the old days, it was only a couple of years ago, uh, <laughs> people would write online reviews maybe, let's say on a website like Yelp. Uh, somebody could write a review about your company and you could say, oh, you'd come across it and you could respond to it. Um, whereas now, information is coming out in real time. So mm-hmm. if false information is coming out and it's in real time and you don't check for this, you know, maybe once a week you go online and check, hey, is anyone mentioning me? Or, or maybe someone would approach you and tell you, hey, I saw this thing about your company or your police department. Uh, you're not learning about it uh, rapidly. And the problem is that once a piece of information gets out there, it can spread, and especially mm-hmm. false information. If it's deliberately uh, sent with the intent that it would be carried out by other people, that it would be spread by other people. So you have to be really on top of your social media monitoring. And there are tools that you can do that with. So does that mean organizations should have, uh, I guess, a dedicated person who monitors that kind of stuff? Or, or are, are, and I think this is where you're going, have some tools that can let me know when something happens? So it depends on the size of your uh, business, your, your government agency, uh, whoever you're dealing with. So here, for example, uh, in our police department, we have literally put up a screen in our dispatch center uh, with information coming in from Twitter using the free tool TweetDeck. And we can actually look right up in our dispatch stations and see what is going on in real time. Uh, TweetDeck allows you to monitor Twitter for certain keywords, and you'll see uh, columns of information going by, and each column could be uh, accounts that you follow. It could be a keyword. Uh, one thing could be a hashtag, for example, uh, Burlington mm-hmm. MA. Anytime someone says Burlington MA on Twitter, we'll see it right away uh, in that column. If anyone says the word Burlington, we'll see that right away. But we would also see things about Burlington, Iowa, Burlington, Ontario, uh, Burlington, Vermont. So there's a lot more information there that you have to filter through. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also set up different, uh, there are different tools you can use for email alerts. So every morning I'll get several different alerts that will check blogs, that will check websites, and that will also check uh, Twitter for mentions of certain terms um, that we're looking for. So, so then I, I would get all this information. I can actually go through and find out, oh, somebody said, uh, let's say Alex Fullick said something about um, Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department. Oh, we better be aware of this, and then you can take you know appropriate action, right? Exactly. So a lot of times, you know, we enjoy freedom of speech here. We have the First Amendment uh, can protect a lot of people, and they could say, well, it was a joke. If it if it doesn't have any kind of a criminal element to it, 
Uh, say like a bomb threat. That would be a clearly a, a criminal event. But if somebody's just calling us names, uh, there's nothing we can do about that. And, and that's something, that's just part of the job. You have to live with it. Um, but let's say somebody is delivering misinformation uh, that there's an event happening in Burlington uh, that's not. Let's say they put out a video, and it's a video from another location, maybe an arrest, uh, maybe a suspect got hurt, and it looks really bad on video. Well, it would be very easy for someone to say, the Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department uh, arrested and beat this guy up last night. And they could put mm-hmm. that on Twitter, and it could spread rapidly. And that could be something that did not, in fact, happen here. So our best strategy for something like that is to just simply say, no, that didn't happen here. That's not us. And perhaps we could even identify where the source of that was. Oh, that was this department, and it happened three months ago. And we could hopefully push down that misinformation and set the record straight, at least. Are there, are there any tools, you know, uh, and I mentioned at the beginning, if I said something completely or was doing something, you know, wrong and saying something wrong on uh, social media, you know, or doctor to film, you know, how can you make me accountable? You know, because if I'm not held accountable for what I'm doing, I can just keep doing this over and over again. Uh, Is there any exactly way of holding me accountable? Uh, actually, it depends. Uh, if you're, we're in a point now that the technology is advancing much faster than the law. So as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, we just thought yesterday they had uh, Robert Mueller um, testifying uh, on Capitol Hill. And he was going through the report that he had completed. Most people haven't read that report, even though it's out there, you can read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did talk about uh, the Russians, for example. And I, I'm not commenting on this politically. I don't care if you're uh, left-wing, right-wing, Republican, Democrat. I don't, I don't, it, it's, that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is that Russia, whether you believe this or not, they, they were, in fact, involved in interfering with U.S. elections. And they've done it to many other countries as well. And they're very good at it. And they're getting better at it. And other countries see this. If nobody's holding the Russians accountable, they'll continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's really nothing stopping it. And the law hasn't really caught up. Now, we've charged uh, some, some of Russian nationals with certain things. But overall, it's very hard to, to hold uh, actors in foreign states accountable. If we had domestic uh, people doing things like this, well, then you'd have existing laws, things like libel, slander, uh, maybe bomb threats, uh, disorderly conduct, things like that. Um, saying there's a fire, a forest fire um, in, a, in a city in California could cause people to panic, even though mm-hmm. there's no fire. And that would be something that would probably be charged criminally as, you know, as a false report type of thing. So you would have to track these people down and then use whatever state and local and federal laws that you have to charge them criminally. Now, if somebody's overseas mm-hmm. and they're in a country like Russia or North Korea or China, uh, it's very difficult for our government or the government of Canada or England or you know, most of the Western nations to actually reach out and, and uh, charge those people mm-hmm. because those countries aren't going to, to turn them over. Right. Uh, with criminals, now with criminals, you might have a different issue if it's a criminal intent. Let's say somebody wants to put out information about a corporation 
and the attempt is to get their stock to plummet, to devalue their, their company, you could say, oh, this chemical company uh, had a chemical leak and killed several people. That could be done with mm-hmm. a blackmail, or that could be done from a competitor. Uh, it could be done from so many different sources. Now, that person would have to be held accountable if you could track them down um, through criminal laws, existing statutes. So there is some talk, uh, especially on deep fakes. Uh, if people aren't familiar with what a deep fake is, these, this is a, a technology that allows us to uh, take a video, uh, make a video from an existing person and make it seem like an authentic video of them saying or doing anything we like. So you could have a video of, say, uh, the President of the United States uh, saying that he's launching a, a missile attack against Iran. And that could be totally false and totally fake. But the technology now is allowing us to create videos that are becoming more and more convincing. So there's a whole th- area of the future that's just really kind of terrifying, actually. I, I think there is a video like that. I, I think I saw it. Um, I, I'm not sh- I think it was in your presentation. Correct me if I'm wrong. There was one of Barack Obama saying something like that, and it was completely fake, but it looked true. Yes. Yeah, I did show videos. I showed examples. And I also showed examples of, um, I don't know if people remember, uh, Ronald Reagan many years ago was doing a microphone check, and uh, he said he outlawed Russia, and we were going to attack, and things like that. Um, this is another type of fake where you could take existing content that's out there and then present it as real. Mm-hmm. So back, back in the days of Reagan, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have social media, but now imagine if that had happened today, people could have taken that clip and instead of seeing it on the news with an explanation, you would now have it out on social media and people would think it was an authentic event. And had they not seen the disclaimers on it, a lot of people out there, millions of people could think it was real. You could start a, a riots and panics on that. Or, or a war, theoretically. Yeah, yeah or a war. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with Lieutenant Glenn Mills about uh, the role of social media in organizational resiliency, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are a pet owner, you know there's a special connection between us and our pets. They are part of the family. The owners of special breeds also understand the important roles they play. Tune in for Greyhounds Make Great Pets to find out more about one special breed. Hosted by Rory and Kathy Goray, along with T.J. Beter, we'll focus on greyhounds, 
but we'll also cover topics that apply to any pet owner, like animal welfare issues, racing, and more. Listen live Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected Welcome back to the show. We're talking today with Lieutenant Glenn Mills from the Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department, and we're talking about the role of social media in organizational resiliency. Glenn, you had some great comments on the first segment, and um, you started to talk about organizations in our last little piece there. So I'd like to take that a little step further, if I may. With um, corporate and crisis leaders, how can they utilize uh, social media, one, um, prior to a conf- uh, a, some sort of a crisis or disaster? And, you know, how can they leverage and use it during a disaster to help them? And, you know, if you know any tips on, uh, you know, what they should and shouldn't do. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would suggest is um, people, and not just one person, but you need a few people in your organization that can um, use these tools, is familiar with these tools, and is, is pretty well-versed. Uh, I find that most of the people in the field are, are self-educated. Uh, they just learn on their own through trial and error and doing a lot of research and reading and playing around with these tools. Uh, the other thing I would suggest is um, you do have to have people specifically dedicated to the social media tasks because some agencies will have, uh, say, a PIO, a public information officer, And that person is the one person who has to appear in front of the cameras and also handle the social media and deal with the press pool and do a lot of other things. But our world is going so fast and social media can be so quick that you might want to have somebody dedicated uh, just to social media and monitoring Mm -hmm. what's going on and responding because um, if it's a big enough event, uh, you're quickly going to be overwhelmed. And I can think of examples of things that happen where the communications person was assigned also to an emergency management team or to mm-hmm. some other task, uh, communications or whatnot. And what happens then during a disaster is that that person is busy with other duties and the social media could be ignored. Uh, and a great example of that is what happened up in Moncton in um, Canada when uh, several Mounties up there were shot and killed. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, the RCMP did a, a lengthy uh, after-action report on that, which is very interesting to read. And um, I know they had some issues where they wished they had more social media capabilities. I had actually monitored that event as it happened live on social media channels. And um, 
you know, we've had a similar situation here during the Boston Marathon bombing. You could see the entire event play out from start to finish uh, live on, on social media. Um, and I think my so far my favorite site for, for monitoring real-time news is still Twitter. Twitter's popularity has gone down in comparison to some of the other platforms, but Twitter is still probably uh, the fastest way to get news in real time. It's just perfect uh, for that. And uh, that's something that people should be familiar how to monitor it. You can use a tool such as TweetDeck or Hootsuite uh, to monitor multiple things on Twitter at the same time and uh, sort of keep on top of things. And not only can you monitor, but you could also respond to people very quickly as well, which is very useful. Do, th- do these tools that you're, you're mentioning, because you, you, you've mentioned a couple now, are they easy to get set up? Do they cost anything? And can anybody use them? Or are they restricted to individuals and not organizations? Or you know, That's a great question. So a lot of people are very concerned with uh, police and law enforcement being on uh, social media uh, you know, and, and violating people's privacy and things like mm-hmm. that. So my recommendation with everybody is I like to stick to what's open source. And if you look at whatever the government, the federal government puts out in informational bulletins, even the uh, top secret bulletins, um, I'm told a, a large percentage of the information in those comes from open source information. So open source means that really anyone can get it. And it's information that's available to the public. Uh, the problem is there's a lot more to screen through, and there can be a lot more false information. But anything that's open that people are putting out there intentionally for others to read, uh, there are no privacy concerns there. So you're not going to violate someone's privacy by reading what they're putting on Twitter, because that's why they're putting it there, so that everyone can mm-hmm. read it. And then uh, the tools that I always recommend are free tools, and they're tools that are available to anyone. <clears throat> so I like to use tools that... Even um, reporters might use. Uh, legitimate journalists could use these tools. I'm a big fan of looking at the techniques that journalists use and then uh, incorporating them in public safety, emergency management, and in crisis management because those tools that are out there are generally mostly free. Uh, they're generally easier to use, and um, you can get most of the information that you want to get. So I guess, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, that anyone can really use them then. Free doesn't mean to individuals. Free means literally to everybody. So my organization could set something up, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's that's probably the best way to go because when you start getting into uh, paid tools, um, now you may have more people complaining about privacy concerns. Uh, and a lot of people are concerned about this big brother type of aspect, especially with government agencies. We have to be very careful not to um, scare people, right? When we're we're saying, oh, we're monitoring social media. Well, that just means we're just looking at the same things that anybody can look at. Um, we don't necessarily need to get into anyone's personal profiles and personal information. And to do that, we need either a warrant, uh, consent, or a real emergency, like a life and death emergency. So we can't just go into uh, your Facebook account and look up all of the information in there that's not public. Anything that's public that you put in there, that's out there for everybody. But anything that you decide to keep private, uh, we have no business being in there 
unless we have a, a warrant, consent, or a, a life and death emergency. Well, I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to ask a question about it, and I don't have to ask. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I am going to ask, with the private tools then, does that mean that um, your privacy privacy is more at risk if you buy a tool? Not necessarily. So what a lot of those tools will do is they're able to pull the same information, but some of them, um, some companies, I don't know if this is as true now, but some companies will pay for access to what's called the Twitter firehose, and that would be everything on Twitter that comes out. Uh, they're able to get a little bit more information than the average user can. They're also able to get more location information. Uh, people are sensitive to that. They're also able to gather that information and store it and save it. Um, so there are some concerns there because, believe it or not, if you're very good at using some of these tools and you have uh, an understanding of some basic data science and analysis, you can, you can determine a lot of different things from what people are putting on their public Twitter. You might even be mm-hmm. able to determine where they are. Um, some academics have been able to do studies where even though a person blocks their location, uh, they're putting out enough information for them to determine where they are. Uh, one good example you can look at, uh, your re- uh, listeners will find very interesting, is um, Bellingcat. Bellingcat has done a lot of open source investigations. They produce some fascinating reports. And you look at the tools that they've used to verify locations. One big case they did was the downing of the flight, the Korean Airlines flight, over Ukraine a few years ago, uh, Bellingcat was able to show that it was a Russian operation and not a separatist operation. And they used open source tools, and they've been able to confirm locations of missile launchers, and they've even tracked down some of the people involved just using what's out there and available open source. So is is that why we're always, um, or is that a, a leading contributor, I should say, to like identity theft by people putting information out there that maybe they really shouldn't? Yeah, it certainly helps. Um, if you think of the scams, the very common scams going on now, one big one that we're dealing with all the time is the grandparent scam. And the grandparent scam, or whatever you want to call it, is um, typically it will be... Uh, uh, a, a guy will call up an elderly person and they'll say, hey, grandma, or hey, grandpa. And, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, in, um, I'm in a bad car crash and there's a lawyer here and he needs money right now to defend me. Or they'll say, oh, I got arrested and I need bail money right now. Or I'm overseas on vacation and I got arrested in Mexico and they need money right now. And the grandparents, they'll, they'll get really scared and they'll panic and they'll say, oh, you know, mm-hmm. Billy, Johnny, whatever their grandson's name is, um, you know, uh, let, me, let me help you. And they'll do whatever the caller asks. Well, the caller, mm-hmm. sometimes they get that information because little Billy or little Johnny is all over Instagram posting their vacation photos in real time. Uh-huh. And they look at it and they say, oh, look, he's on vacation in Mexico. He's in Puerto Vallarta. And they figure out through Facebook and the links that he has, oh, this must be his grandparent, his grandmother, grandfather. And then they can figure out who those people are, and then they can use the old-fashioned uh, phone book that, that is now available online, look up that phone number, call, pretend to be little Billy, the little Johnny, and, and know exactly where they're supposed to be, 
and then say, oh, yeah, and I've been kidnapped or I've been arrested, and then demand um, some kind of payment for that. So that's one area that frauds and scams can uh, work on. And for identity theft, now you have even mm-hmm. more information on the person that you're able to pretend to be them. There are a lot of different questions that credit card companies might ask to confirm ID, that if you're really uh, good at open source investigations, you'd be able to find those answers, like your dog's name or your, you know, your, your address you grew up at and different things like that. All from posts that I you know, put on Twitter or Facebook or any of the other platforms. Exactly. Uh, if you ever see, I, I tell all your listeners, if you ever see one of these quizzes out there, oh, you know, where'd you grow up and where'd you go to high school? and where, That is all to gather information about you that could be used by identity theft uh, people. They, they can find out all this information. You're telling them by, by yeah. answering a quiz. I see that on uh, Facebook a lot. You know, um, actually, I just saw one this morning. Most Canadians never get this quiz correct or something like that. You know, um, you know, asking me to go in and really, like you just said, give all this information away. Yep. You know, yep. and you I don't fall away your, your childhood best friend, the street you grew up yeah. on, your favorite pet's name. You know, having someone like you on the show, uh, you know, tells me not to do those kind of things, so I don't. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so and we saw this. We saw this in the news recently. Uh, there was some concerns over a, an app that would show people's face aged. I yeah. don't know if it made the news in Canada. Yes, I, d- I did. Yeah, it was uh, just this week or so. Yes. Yeah. It just happened, and uh, it was brought up by the U.S. government. Hey, people, uh, we're concerned about this. They ordered the FBI to investigate it. The company that hosts that app is in Russia, and mm-hmm. um, there were some concerns there with what could they do with these faces. Well, they're not going to steal your ID with that information, but there are other things that they could do um, using all the people's data that they put in there. They could produce more uh, fake uh, faces, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different things that they'll be able to do with that information. And then it was good to have that discussion because people will install apps on their phones and nobody ever reads the end user license agreements. Nobody ever reads those, right? They're, they're, no, they're 48 no. pages. You know, you could be saying, oh, yeah, I'll give you my wife, my kids, my house. Uh, and people say, yes, go ahead. Um, that app had access to people's photos. That app had access to other people's information within that, that device. So anytime you install any type of app on your phone or computer or device, you really want to just check those end-user license agreements and make sure you're not giving permission to see your location and to access mm-hmm. all your files. And, uh, you know, if it's a non-trusted vendor, if you've never heard of a, a, a company, uh, I wouldn't do that. I would just say, no, you're not getting those permissions because once you grant those permissions, those uh, technology companies can gather a lot of information, a lot of your personal information. How would something like that, um, I don't even know if you can answer this, impact maybe an organization? Oh, I can tell you this. If you want to have some fun, look on LinkedIn. Uh, Look at people who say, oh, I got my new job, and they'll show a picture of their their new photo ID badge. Look, I got a job with uh, Raytheon, and here's a picture of my new photo ID badge. Now, bad actors can take that information, they can look at that photo ID badge, and now 
reproduce their own badges. Uh, oh, because those badges like usually have barcodes and things like that on there, right? Exactly. Whatever is on that, that, that identification uh, device, and you take a nice picture of it, you can blow that picture up and you can get a lot of information from it. And it, it's pretty common. It's something that a lot of open source investigators uh, sort of almost do like for fun. Like, oh, look, here's, here's Brian's new uh, badge. He got a job at Facebook. Well, now we know what Facebook's uh, ID badges look like. And if we want to mm-hmm. reproduce those, not too hard. And I guess the same thing, you know, that's how it, how they get um, credit card numbers and things like that because people post that kind of stuff. Yeah, people will, um, they'll take pictures too. You take a picture and post it to social media. Everything in that photograph, there's information in the background. You might take a picture of your desk. You know, here's my mm-hmm. desk, it's cluttered, ha ha. But on your desk is, uh, you get a credit card sitting next to the phone. Or you have a list mm-hmm. of phone numbers or a list of passwords. There, there's so much information out there today that somebody who's really persistent and is just very um, creative in their thinking, they can find all sorts of information about you. And the more you put out there about yourself, the more information there is to go through and the more uh, a bad actor could, could take advantage of that. It kind of reminds me of water. Water, you know, spilt water or rain will find a way to get through into anything, will find anything. And I guess with you know, social media being out there now, criminals are like water. They will find their way through to get to what they want. Exactly. That's their full-time job. That's what they're doing all the time. Well, I'm going to touch on that because I had a question about that in the uh, in our last segment. Today we're talking with Lieutenant Glenn Mills from the Burlington, Massachusetts, Massachusetts sorry, Police Department about social media. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river. Like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We today are talking with Lieutenant Glenn Mills about organizational resiliency and social media. Glenn, in our last segment, you started to touch on what I want to begin this segment with, that you know, some of these criminals out there on social media and how we need to fight them, it's, it's their full-time job now. Uh, I think that's the words you used. How can organizations deal with that? Because the perception of uh, a nerdy kid eating pizza in the basement it seems to be gone. So how do we deal with um, you know, th- this change in the way social media is now being bombarded by you know, all of these uh, nefarious people? Yeah, so I think it's key to have really good um, online security in your organization. And what we've seen, the problems, it always seems to go back to the people. So you have companies out there buying technology and spending a lot of money on security and um, firewalls and uh, different technologies to, to try to keep people out of their networks. But most of the time... Uh, people are getting into your networks because of other people. So no matter how many times you tell someone, don't click on that email, <laughs> you know, that says download this now. Somebody uh, does. People still do it. Somebody always does. Uh, we saw the Russians did that to the Democratic uh, National Committee. Um, they mm-hmm. got into people's accounts, hacked their accounts, because some of the people's passwords were literally like password. <laughs> you know, they, they sent them... Uh, <laughs> Emails, uh, spoofed emails, which would be, it looks like a legitimate email from an address, and uh, you open it and click on something in that email, and next thing you know, you've downloaded uh, some malware into your, your computer network. And hackers today, they're very good. Sometimes they'll let those uh, hacked computers stay there for quite a while. They'll intrude into your network and they will spend a lot of time learning about your network and learning how it works before they'll let you know. And sometimes that could come in the form of uh, ransomware, which would be them encrypting all of your data and then making you pay them to unencrypt it. And you can imagine how devastating that would be for some companies. Well, I think... uh, there was a, just in the news a couple of weeks ago, uh, was it a, a town or a city, and I want to say somewhere in the U.S., that actually, uh, Florida actually, I, I want to say, that um, paid, just recently paid to have that fixed for them. You know, they just paid the ransom so they could get their data back. Yep, and that's happened to big cities too. Atlanta is probably the most uh, <clears throat> famous right now uh, of a major ransomware attack. The city of Atlanta and Georgia, um, they they shut down a number of their networks, and uh, we've had local police departments uh, in my area. Uh, some places will pay the ransom. Some places will um, they'll just take the damage. They'll take the hit and try to re- rebuild everything. Uh, so it's very important to have backups of all your information mm-hmm. and to have everything. Uh, 
what's called air-gapped, so that you have information stored somewhere that nobody can get to it. But right. even then, like I said, the, the criminals are very patient, they're very smart now, and they'll, they'll know enough to plant this uh, malware into your computer so that even your backups might have this on it. And you think, oh, I'm safe, I just backed everything up a week ago. Well, surprise, they've been doing this to you for six months now. And, um, you know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble if, they, if they're able to do that. But like That's I right. said, the weakest element, it's, it's always the human element. Um, it's always the people. And social media ties into this because, like I said, they can learn a lot about you. And that is helpful if I'm trying to find out what your password is or I'm trying to send you an email that I think you're going to fall for. If I know all of your interests, if I know all of the things you like, and I know who all of your friends are, I could say, hey, this is Glenn, your best friend, and send you this attachment, and here's the pictures from our vacation last week. And maybe my address, instead of glennmills at yahoo.com, is glennmills at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And I... I you would quickly, you would see that, you wouldn't think much about it, and you'd say, oh, good, the pictures, and you would click on that attachment, and now they've got you. So there are so many vectors uh, to attack right now, so many, so many surfaces to attack that, that, that people just have to be more careful and more cognizant of this. Um, well, and I don't <clears throat> really know what the answer is. It's just a very complicated issue, but mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting. Well, you touched on something there that, you know, if, if I receive something, you know, uh, and organizations will probably as well, how can I recognize, you know, a, a fake uh, posting, you know, on social media, uh, you know, whether it be during a disaster or after disaster, pre-disaster, or even just a personal inquiry? What kind of things can I look for to show that, oh, this is just fake? A lot of times, I think the biggest trick that criminals will use and um, this, is, this is going back thousands of years, uh, different scams that have gone on through centuries. A lot of times there's an emotional hook. What they're trying to do is, is get you to respond to something emotionally so that you're a little bit less aware. They catch you off guard. And before you know it, uh, you've fallen for whatever the scam is. And the scam could even be some, something as simple as opening a link that you shouldn't. So they're, they're trying to appeal to emotional things, and when people are emotional, they think less, and they don't notice, wait a minute, that's not the right email address that this is coming from, or mm-hmm. that social media account looks fake because I know that the Burlington police is at Burlington PD, not at Burlington PDM, right. and, and, and that's the thing. It, it's a lot of it, I think, is just keeping your emotions in check and not quickly jumping to uh, conclusions. Take everything with a grain of salt now. When you see something, just hang on a second, digest it a little bit, wait a few seconds for your, uh, your, your amygdala to calm down, and then react, and then start analyzing. If you get a funny feeling about something, that's your subconscious warning you, like danger. Listen to that. Mm-hmm. People don't listen to that enough. So if you see an email and you go, well, this is kind of funny looking, this is suspicious, oh, let me click on it anyways, you're going to have a problem. But if you listen to that feeling, wait a minute, something looks funny here, something's off, question why, take a look at it, and then then you'll have time to notice, wait a minute, that's a fake email address, or this attachment, this is very suspicious, 
maybe I won't just open this up. Maybe I'll call the person who said that they emailed this to me and ask them, did you just email me some pictures? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Ah, then we'll take care of the problems. Well, it, the, I, I've done that. Actually, it's happened at my current client site. You know, something will come through, you know, and you'll look at the person going, did you know anything about this without you know, anyone clicking anything? You know, did you know anything about this topic? No, no, that can't be right. You know, and we've actually picked up the phone and called someone we thought it would come f- come from and, and said, you know, did you just send a note about such and such? And they said, no, that's not from us. And we went, okay, phishing. And luckily we can report it as phishing. Mm-hmm. You know, click on the button and the, the head office gets notified and they they do whatever they do. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> it lets us, lets us be able to, uh, you know, identify things that, you know, accidentally come through. But it's happened before, and you know we we don't have a knee jerk reaction. You know, someone asking us a question and just okay, yeah, here, you know, responding. It's like no, 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 hang on, that doesn't seem right. You know, you 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 do have to use your um, your brain and think about what's being asked. Exactly. Exactly. So, Glenn, we believe it or not, we only got a few minutes left. Uh, on uh, for for this segment, you know, four minutes left. Do you want to take a couple of minutes and maybe kind of uh, give a give our listeners, you know, some of your experience on what things we really should look for and what we could start doing now? So I'm very interested in the future. Um, I'm involved with the Society of Police Futurist International, and we look at the trends that are coming in the future and what's going to be happening, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years out. So there are some interesting documents that have come out from the military and from think tanks um, that make for good reading. So, for example, maybe in trying to understand um, false information, why is it so effective? Why does it work on us so well? Uh, RAND put out a great report, and I think if you just Google uh, RAND, R-A-N-D, Firehood of Falsehood, Firehose, I'm sorry, Firehose of Falsehood, uh, you can read that report, and it really explains why uh, misinformation works so well. Uh, unfortunately, the conclusions are that I think uh, we're going to be in trouble for a long time on that because the way our brains are wired, we're just very susceptible to it, unfortunately. And uh, mm-hmm. it could take, could take many, many years for us to, to get used to that. And then the other thing I'm really worried about and concerned about is now that we live in this world of false information and misinformation, What's going to happen now with legitimate news sources and when people stop believing the truth? Mm-hmm. That can be just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than, than believing misinformation. Because, uh, for example, somebody says something's happening in Burlington uh, and we put out information, no, that isn't true. Now what happens if people don't believe us? And what are we going to do mm. then? So that can cause work, more problems. Oh, yeah. So we have to work very hard at being truthful, being honest, and being a trusted source of information. We have to work together, uh, sort of like a network of truthful sources. So General McChrystal uh, talked about how it takes a network to defeat a network. We have networks of criminals out there. We have networks uh, working to deliver false information. And in order to fight that, you might need your own network of, of friends, allies, credible news sources, so that when fake information gets out there, 
um, we can respond to it immediately and correct it. And also, if um, people want to know who can they trust, we know that we have a network of trusted sources mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. we know, oh, wait a minute, let me check this. Like Snopes was a good example. You know, the urban legend would come out that, you know, somebody would kidnap you in a parking lot by uh, giving you a perfume sample and knocking you out. And then an organization like Snopes would say, no, that's, that's a fake story and don't worry about it. So we need kind of that sort of same mentality. We need trusted news sources, trusted government sources uh, that, that can battle misinformation in real time. Well, we've come to the end of our show. Glenn, thank you very much for your, uh, all that information you've been providing us. Um, I hope it's helpful to everybody out there. It should be, you know, because it does uh, you know, impact us all. And being a member of the police department, I want to thank you and your colleagues for everything that you do for all of us. You know, people like me walking down the street, you protect us and keep us safe. So thank you very much um, to you and all your colleagues. Thank you. And everyone listening out there, uh, if you've got a topic, please feel free, reach out, send me your ideas. And uh, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.